Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Please take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. The title of today's sermon is Christ's Power to Forgive Sins. You know, one of the joys of, of studying in the Gospels is that we see this contention where Christ's plan or God's plan, eternal plan, is revealed, and yet there's this contention of mankind conflicting against it. I want to read our passage for us and take our time in our study here this morning, but I want to read the first 12 verses of Mark's Gospel, chapter 2 here. It says, he, When he had come back to Capernaum, speaking about Jesus, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And when he and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their, their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that, that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, we again thank you for the morning and the joy it is to come, to have songs that lift about your glory, to sing songs that draw us to Christ. We come to your word this morning, and, and it draws us, to this great Savior, the Messiah, Jesus himself. Jesus, 
establishes in so many ways that he is God. He is the one who has created all things. He is the one who spoke things into existence, and he is still the one who holds all things and sustains it. Jesus, we marvel at your interaction, your ability to, to speak healing, your ability to forgive sins. And Father, we just pray that you use your word and the spirit along with your underservant here, Father, to preach your truth. And may we walk away amazed just much as the people who saw the paralytic healed and walk out of the room. And so we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We begin a new chapter this morning. It's Mark's gospel. And we come to a, a section of scriptures that, that starts a string of five narratives. Five narratives that engage Christ in his teaching ministry along with his healing ministry. that is challenged by the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not liking what Jesus says. They're not liking what he's doing. They certainly don't like the fact that Jesus is attracting more crowds than they have ever seen before. That he had the people's eyes, ears, and hearts, and had their attention. But even more than that, they are offended by Jesus' actions. Their indignation to him and what he says is expressed by statements, as we'll see, leading all the way through to the chapter 3, the beginning of it. But statements that challenge what they knew that the religious law, at least how they interpreted it, said and what Jesus was doing. Such statements like this, like we see even in our passage in verse 7, where they are thinking, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Our saying in Mark 2, verse 24, the, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And questions like Mark 2, 16, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? The tension of, of, of these five narratives wind up leading to a conclusion in the sovereign plan of God where it says, and look forward to verse 6 of Mark 3, where it says the Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Th that is one of Mark's intentions for, for us to see in these five narratives is that there's this rub between the religious leaders of the day and, and what is right and what is true and what Jesus is doing. They lead to a conclusion, at least from those religious leaders of that day, that Jesus must be destroyed, that he must be killed. And the hidden, hidden beauty in all this this is exactly what Jesus wanted. These conflicts began to stir a hatred towards Christ that would eventually lay out the redemptive plan of God. Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. 
And he knew for that to happen, he had to be accused of something so heinous that they would put him to death. So Jesus being Jesus, the Messiah being the Messiah, he was performing many miracles, and he taught that the kingdom of God is at hand and that he is God in the flesh, and that enraged them. We know, and already studied in Mark 1.15, that Jesus said that the times feel that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe in the gospel. That was his message, that he is the Messiah, and that he's drawn near, and that he is God, and the call to repent and to believe is the response. The religious leaders shouldn't have been in shock. I, we read already a little bit out of Isaiah 53. They should have known that the Messiah would come first as a suffering servant, that he would come to give his life and bear the transgressions of, of the many, that he would give his life for their sake, that he would forgive sin and sinners. And, and because only God can do that, it clearly points to the reality that the Messiah is God. From the religious leader standpoint, they missed that mark. They only saw God as the only one who can forgive sins, and they point to scriptures that are rightly so that God is the one who forgives sins. And how dare this man come and actually say, Your sins are forgiven? Why? Because only God can do that. They fashioned a Messiah that was a conqueror, not a suffering servant, who would go to the cross and die. Those two conflicts, I mean, that was in their minds. They saw a Messiah as one to reign. But as we see, as Jesus continues, even in the Gospel, Mark, Mark emphasized the fact that Jesus came to serve, to redeem, to ransom his life for sinners. This is exactly what the Messiah would do in his first coming. He came as a servant to die, to forgive sins, and reconcile a sinner to a holy God. Like our scripture reading said, just a, a couple verses to remind you again, Isaiah 53, 6, it clearly states this when it says there, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah 53, 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. But his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. I mean, Jesus came clearly to forgive sins which in turn, their theology would equate that he is God. I don't want you to miss the second coming of Christ. He will come as a conqueror. Jesus will set up an eternal kingdom, and he will reign forever, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord, but not yet. First, he comes to suffer and to die for sins and sinners. That was his point. That was the rub. And so let us pick up this narrative, and I want you to see these things. 
we see a context and a crowd gathering outside of Peter's house. And we pick this up in verse 1 of the narrative when it says, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. Jesus returns to the city of Capernaum. In the city, as we already noted, in verse 29 of chapter 1, this was Peter's home. Jesus saw it as his home. What's interesting to me, when we last were in the Gospel of Mark, we noted that in his divine healing of the leper, he, he told him to be quiet. He wasn't. And verse 45 says that he went into the outskirts of the cities because the cities were too crowded looking for him. And yet here he comes back to the city. And after several days there, word got out that he's home. Verse 2, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. I mean, this was shoulder to shoulder. This was cheek to cheek. This was tight. This was a, a, a mob. Mark even gives us the indication that there's not even a place by the door, a door which is supposed to open and close. There's not even room by the door. Verse 2 tells us that he was speaking the word to them. Like Rary noted, we know Jesus is telling them that he is the Messiah, that, he, that, they, that the kingdom of God is here. His miracles point to that reality. <clears throat> the divine <clears throat> excuse me, authority on Christ is shown. John the Baptist has already pointed to him as, as the one who will take away the sins of the world. This is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Verse 3 and 4, it reads there, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. I mean, this is remarkable when you read this. I mean, you think about what's going on here. The crowd is together. It's tight. They try to go through the front door. They're bringing somebody that they love, knowing that Jesus heals. This eventually interrupts Jesus' preaching. These four men are, are determined to take someone they love, and they did everything to get this paralytic in front of Christ. Now, the text is silent. We don't know much color on, on who the four men were. For that matter, all we knew is that this guy couldn't walk. We don't know any other extremities that maybe are, are diseases or whatever else he had. But the point is, is that these guys were determined. And what strikes me is that the heart of these four men, you can't get past this verse 4 without really kind of understanding the heart of what's happening here. The scene is, is set before us. These men were not deterred to get this man before Christ. For one, they had faith, right? And they knew Christ could heal him. They had heard about the healings throughout the city. 
For that matter, we even know the relationship between the man on the pallet and his four friends. It could be a brother. It could be a sibling. It could be somebody that they closely love. Whatever the case may be, they, we know this, that they really love this man, that this man needed to be in front of Christ. For that matter, when you, when you walk around with somebody who had uh, uh, an ailment and you had to carry him on a pallet, I mean, this was kind of pretty intrusive, especially for the crowd who wanted to see Jesus too. They were probably seen as a nuisance. They're probably wondering, wait your turn. You know, what's interesting to me is that didn't deter them either. And just because they didn't get into the front door, through the front door, that didn't stop them. They got creative. What did they do? They, they went up, and most of these houses had some stairs. They would use the top of the roof like a patio. And so they carried them to the top of the roof. They went to the roof and figured where they needed to be to remove the portion of the roof and to lower this man in front of Jesus. You think about the roof, it would have been problematic for most. But I think it speaks to the devotion and love that they had for this man to be healed. I mean, for one, to destroy somebody else's roof is going to cost you something, right? You've got to repair it once the, the party's over. All these things didn't deter these men. And then if you notice, it says in verse 4 that they had to dug an opening. They literally had to use their hands to create the big enough space. By the way, this would be like a big sunroof, right? I mean, they are making a huge opening. And you can see with your eyes what's happening. The mud and everything is falling down on the people below. But yet they were determined. History tells us that these roofs during this time was constructed with beams that laid across the structure. They rested on the walls. They would put sticks and weave sticks and so as to create some of a foundation. And then they would pack mud in there and allow the sun to heat it up so as to, to have a roof. None of that deterred her. And the question you have to ask is Why? I think the answer is twofold, and I've alluded to it throughout this narrative and throughout this preaching, that that they had a love for their friend and they they had faith in Christ. They had a faith like those who truly believe that Christ will heal their friend. They were determined that Christ was the answer, and by the way, was the only way for their friend to be healed. That just wouldn't be denied. I mean, all of this stuff causes me to stop and, and to think about the cost, determination, the love. We live in such a, a soft Christianity that, that if we even say Jesus and it offends somebody, we kind of like just curl up and kind of run away. Are we a people who love Christ? to the nth degree, that we will be undeterred to get the gospel out. 
to get the people that we love in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we gather here believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him, right? We believe the truth that he is the only way. And the question is, at what expense are you, am I, promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ? To put him in front of people, knowing that he is what they need. I mean, it causes you to pause and wonder how life is going about. Am I so determined to make sure that people are not deterred when an obstacles come my way to share Christ? Let me say it this way. Jesus isn't to be concealed. In what we say and what we do, he is to be exposed, shown. James tells us faith without works is what? Is dead. And so we are, are, are engaged in such a way as to be seed throwers in such a way that exposes the life-saving, eternal life that Christ can give. And nothing deters that. I mean, this is what we see in these four friends. They were determined to get this man, no matter what it cost them, in front of Christ. Why? Because they knew that Christ could heal them. Why such an emphasis on that? I mean, it's remarkable what Jesus says in verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus saw all the trouble that they went through to get this man in front of him. Jesus saw their zeal and their compassion for their friend, their love for their friend. He understood the effort it would bring to get their friend in front of them. Imagine walking up the stairs of a house, making sure he doesn't fall over. I mean, all this just, just visually put in your mind the effort that would be to get him to the roof and lower down in front of Christ. And with such intrusion, it stops his preaching, right? Jesus stops his preaching. The crowd, no doubt, is watching what is going to happen next. And what Jesus says next sets forth the conflict and excites the scribe's heart. Look what he says. <clears throat> Here comes the conflict, right? Verse 5, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, this is a theological statement. It's loaded with truth. For one, Jesus addressed the paralytic as a son. He's pointing to the reality that he has authority as one uh, like an adult over a, a child. This is the creator over the creation and is acting on his behalf. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Two, the Jews' concept of disease was deeply rooted in this. They understood that disease and sin go hand in hand. At least that's what their theology taught them. They believed that the ones that were diseased or had a diseased condition was God's punishment for sins that that, that, that person has committed. Yet they also believed that when a person was healed, they were forgiven by God. I mean, they, they saw the healing and the forgiveness and the disease, and, and they go hand in hand. 
David writes in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3, Blessed the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Those two go together. <clears throat> Second Chronicles, a very familiar passage to us. Second Chronicles 7.14 has the same idea rooted within this verse. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. And then you have texts like Psalm 41.4 that interchange healing and the word forgiveness. It says there, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul for I have sinned against you. Forgiveness was the answer to the healing of the soul. And so when we see Jesus intervene here with forgiving the paralytic's sins and the healing that followed, he is saying that he is God. I also want you to remember that sin and sickness and disease was not God's intended purpose. You think back to the garden. It was paradise, right? Never was it God's intended result for his creation in the garden to, to be inflicted with sin and sickness. And sin has its way and is the instigator here. And depravity takes place. And so when Jesus heals here, he's driving back the effects of sin upon this man. But I want you also to note that there's, there's no sin that is revealed by he is a paralytic, right? There's nothing here in the text that gives us the indication that there's some sin that he has done in the past. And so when Jesus heal, heals here, he's driving back these effects of sins upon sinful mankind. In the heart of the sinful world is the need for one sin be forgiven. Diseased or not. Listen, this, this is what's going on here. This man comes, he is diseased, his, the, the effects of depravity is upon him. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's Mark's point. And he's pointing the reality, and he knew that it would incite the scribes who were seated there. By the way, Luke's account in Luke 5 tells us that Pharisees were a part of this group too that they would have a problem with this. All this enraged the scribes because what Jesus was doing was equating himself with God the Father, that he was God. And so verse 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, I love this because here you have the scribes sitting there contemplating all that they saw instead of rejoicing the fact that, there's, that this, this man's sins were going to be healed or forgiven and then he's going to walk out of the room. They grumble. The scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They didn't even have to speak it. Jesus in his, in his omniscient, he knows what's going on here, right? And verse 7 says, why does this man speak that way? Right? He knows what they're saying. He is blaspheming. That's their end result. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes were part of the Pharisees. They were the guardians or interpreters of the law. They not only made sure that the people obeyed the written law, but as they added with, the, with an oral law, they made sure the people were in line 
It was a ball and change type of a deal. They made sure people were in line, even though they themselves were out of line. They believed, and what's remarkable about this, rightly so, that the forgiveness of sins was God's business. And they were right. God is the one who forgives sins. What they didn't like was that Jesus was the one saying it. We can find this principle throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 130, verse 4 says, But there is forgiveness with you, speaking about God, Yahweh, that you may be feared. Daniel 9, 9 tells us, To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And so when Jesus displays his power to forgive sins, he's clearly telling the world that he is God. That he is Jesus the Messiah, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And this rubbed them. So much in rejoicing the fact of everything that they were looking in the Old Testament, that the Messiah was going to come because of their wrong theology, they started missing the point of what Jesus was doing and the desire to kill him. And so they put a label on him as being a blasphemer. They believed that Jesus' declaration of forgiveness of sin was an assault on the majesty and the divine authority of God. And we know, according to the law, that death was the result of such blasphemous comments. And so there was a big rub here with the scribes. And so what Jesus does do, and what he does here is confirm that the truth, that what he just spoke to the paralytic with action by healing him, that he gives the confirmation that he is God. And we see this. I mean, he just brings it right to the open. Look at verse 8. He brings his confirmation. Immediately, Jesus, aware of his spirit, in his spirit, that they were reasoning the way within themselves, and said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? Listen, it would have been easier to say, pick up your pallet, get up, and walk. Why? Because he was already demonstrating those things. He was already showing his, his majestic hand in healing people. That was the easiest thing to do. But Jesus knows that his purpose and his plan was to come to forgive sins, and so he ignites a fire of hatred from the scribes. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 10, but so that you may know, a purpose clause that, that many scholars believe that, that the gospel writer Mark is inserting this, but that so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. This is profound. The validity, the validity of Jesus to tell the man to get up, to walk, to go home. Imperative commands that, that direct this guy to do exactly what Christ is, is calling him to do. Validates that he is the Son of God. 
and the one who forgives sins. I mean, on a theological front, it was easy for the scribes to sit there and they could debate Jesus with this, this idea of who can forgive sins and who cannot. And by the way, only God can and you not, Jesus. But for Jesus to heal this guy validates the fact that he is God. And so in verse 12, and he got up, he immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. Everyone saw this happen. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Powerful. It's powerful. When Jesus caused the paralytic to walk, before the eyes of the crowd and all of his critics, they were forced to recognize that this declaration of forgiveness of sins to this paralytic that Jesus declared to this man was effective because he had healed him and, wa- and he walked out of the room. I mean, you talk about a mic drop, here it is. The healing of the paralytic was more than a display of mercy towards a sinful man. It was a statement that the kingdom of God is at hand and that Jesus is God. You better believe, and then as we see in, in verse 6 of, of chapter 3, that did they get together and start saying, "How? what are we going to do with this guy? The end result of their hearts was that they were going to kill him. Everything that he was preaching in that, that house, the call to repent of their sins and to believe in the gospel, to believe in himself, to believe who Jesus is, was validated by his power. When you think about what the paralytic experienced, he experienced the fulfillment of God that when he sent the Messiah, when God the Father sent the Messiah, that the lame would walk, the blind would see. We know this from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 3 and 6. It points this out. And look to the screen, it says, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Reba. I mean, Jesus left the crowd in awe. Their mouths were wide open. The people were glorifying God, expressing a gratitude. That, and they, they said and expressed that they'd never seen anything like this. This is God moving, saying, this is clearly my Messiah. Clearly, he is the one. He, he is God, and he is going to make the lame I mean, it's remarkable. This is everything that Jesus was was desiring. He didn't, like we said in the past, he didn't come to to have a healing ministry. He came to have a redemptive ministry. And the greatest need was not for the paralytic to, to be able to walk, but the greatest need that that paralytic need was to have his sins forgiven. And by the way, beloved, that's our greatest need. Our sin puts us in the crosshairs of God's wrath. We know the scriptures and we know the theology behind it, that all of us are like, we're sinners. 
And more importantly, we need a Savior, right? We need a Lord and a Savior to redeem us and reconcile to a holy, holy God. We need God to forgive us of our sins. By the way, that's the only way his wrath is turned away from you. That is why Jesus so determined to go to the cross. And that's why the cross for the believer is so beautiful. Jesus goes there to receive a just and holy God's wrath upon himself for your sin. He dies only to conquer sin and death through his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. I mean, the simplicity of this is that you need to receive Christ. Why? Because he is the Messiah. He is the one who is able to forgive you of your sins. And the question is, will you repent? And will you believe? I mean, that truth does not get old. Your pastor does not get tired of preaching Christ and him crucified for the sake of your redemption. And if you're here this morning and you're on the outside of this and you're kind of like, you know what, I like these Christian people. They're kind of kind. They feed me food. There's a lot of good fellowship happening. But you know about Jesus? I'm just not ready yet. Listen, you need to be ready. And you need to come to Christ. And you need to receive the one who can forgive you of your sins, period. How you do that? Agree that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. And repent of your sins and turn to him and receive his grace and mercy and faith. And in turn, walk his way. God does the work there, right? He saves the soul. He, he imputes the, his righteousness within you. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you everything you need, which is remarkable. Why? Because we don't deserve any of that. And for those who have received Christ, oh, beloved, I hope that that doesn't get old. I hope as you wake each morning that you understand that this is the heel to die on. This gospel truth is why you live and why you move and why you, is your message as you go out into the world. I think about this time often, the Christmas season. People are hurting. You understand that, right? We got a world that is turned upside down. We got a world that, that doesn't understand life. However, what you hold in the gospel truth of Jesus Christ is everything that they need. Will you be a tool in the master's hand? I, I guess one of the, the emphasis I want to leave with you, the application, am I about like Jesus or this paralytic's friends desiring to get people in front of Christ? Am I so engaged with the gospel that all the people know is that I'm concerned about Christ? I mean, it's remarkable. God presents himself in scripture in such a way he displays himself with the inspiration of his holy word, and he says, point people to Christ.
That's why we're still around. And as it gets darker and darker in the world, guess what? The gospel light will get brighter and brighter and brighter. Oh, church, rise. I mean, we, we, we think about our call and the mission. May we be ambassadors of the one who has saved our souls. That's why we share the gospel, especially when a culture says, do not do that. Let the people have their sin, delight in it, be kind, and hope that they come to Christ. Listen, we are to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow Jesus to sort through the hearts of where the seed falls. Amen? Father, we thank you for the morning and for a narrative that that stirs our hope on clarity. We clearly understand, Jesus, you to be, be God. That you are the Messiah. That only in you can you forgive sins. Jesus, you will continue to display that as this tension continues to happen between the religious leaders of the days, the, the redemptive plan of God goes forth in such a way that it saves people. Father, help us to be individuals in your hand that desires to speak the truth in love and gentleness. Oh, there are times where we must be bold with the gospel, but there's also times where the weak and the faint-hearted need to hear the gospel news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. May the Spirit give us discernment of the situations beforehand so that we can give you glory and honor in what is said and what is done. You have called the church to arise and to speak forth light and truth in your word into a world that is dying and dark. So help us accomplish those things that according to your word, as Jesus so determined to, to go to the cross and to show exactly why he came. Let us walk out of this place with, with hope the understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so we thank You for the reminder of the power of Christ to speak healing, the ability of Christ to forgive sins even before He even goes to the cross. Why? Because He is God. And so we love you, and we praise you, and we pray in your name, amen. Why don't you stand, and we'll, we'll close in song. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com 
slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.